0: Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Kirsten Patton and I'm the working group manager here at ATARC. Um, Today we have a special webinar presentation put together by our ATARC Quantum Working Group. I'd like to kick it off by first introducing Maeva Gonda. She will be the moderator for today's webinar. Um, She is the ATAR Quantum Working Group Chair. So she's the one who really put this all together. Um, We will be hearing um, on
1: blockchain innovations for policymakers today. So Maeva, I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to you now. Thank you so much, Kirsten. Welcome everyone. I am the chair and moderator for this special event. I'm so pleased that you've decided to spend this hour with us. Our keynote speaker is Mr. Peteris Zilgavis. Mr. Zilgavis is the head of unit for digital innovation and blockchain in the digital single market di- directorate in DG Connect, and he's also the co-chair of the European Commission's fintech task force. Mr. Zilgavis was the visiting EU fellow at Saint Ant- Saint Anthony's college at the University of Oxford from 2013 to 2014 where he was an associate of the political economy of financial markets program of the financial markets program and from 1997 to 2005 he was deputy head of the bioethics department of the Council of Europe in its Directorate General of Legal Affairs he's also held various positions in the Latvian civil service at the, Ministry of, at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the Ministry of the Environment. He was Senior Environmental Law Advisor at, to the World Bank, Russian Federation's Environmental Management Projects and Regional Environmental Specialist for the, for the Baltic countries at the, at the World Bank prior to that. Mr. Zilgavis has been a member of the California State Bar since 1991 having completed his JD at the University of California. His BA was earned in political science cum laude at UCLA. And he he has completed the High Potentials Leadership Program at Harvard Business School. Please be sure to review his recent publications, The Need for an Innovation Principle and Regulatory Impact Assessment, The Case of Finance and Innovation in Europe, in policy and internet and he also has one upcoming publication the law and political economy of the centralized digital e- e- ecosystems without further ado i'd like to transition to mr zilgavis thank you so much for your time today we're so pleased that you've joined us please go ahead
0: thank you very much for this very nice introduction and uh, Uh, A long one, but uh, that's uh, one of the things when you start getting uh, a little bit of ways into your career that you've uh, been various places and done things. Um, what is perhaps particularly relevant to the discussion today is how I got into the blockchain area. As you heard, um, I'm basically an environmental lawyer by, by training, and uh, maybe if this would be the best characterization of my, my profession. Uh, international civil servant as well, but always uh, from the early 90s, you found that environmental law was very closely related to technology technology either that can remediate pollution or alleviate it or also things to do with uh, biotechnology for instance going back to the, the 1992 rio convention where you could say a lot of at least the international cooperation uh, against climate change started at the very beginning then moving forward some years to 2013 when i was at the, at the university of oxford as a visiting fellow for a year Um, I started participating in, among other things, a virtual currencies working group, and uh, there we discussed uh, Bitcoin and various other cryptocurrencies. Uh, After some analysis, I came to the conclusion at that time, I think in the autumn of 2012, Bitcoin was about 12 euro, uh, a Bitcoin jumped up that spring to about 220, dived again, but in any case, much, much cheaper than it is today. Um, I came to the conclusion that it wouldn't be a new Visa or MasterCard. The throughput, the speed wasn't, wasn't fast enough, the capacity. So basically it was good for speculation. I didn't realize how good it was for speculation. I should have invested perhaps heavily at that time, and then I could. Uh, I like my work, and I would have continued working, but I wouldn't have to work. Um, but um, that's about uh, the, my beginnings in uh, in the area of blockchain. So not at the very beginning, not two thousand and nine. Though I mean, I probably heard of uh, the Bitcoin white paper, but I confess I didn't read it. But from about 2012, 2013, first uh, academically looking at the area of fintech, including cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and blockchain, um, I was uh, quite implicated in it. Um, One note, which I didn't say, uh, I watch uh, a lot of slideshow presentations and make a lot of them myself. So today I'm Going to just speak, and hopefully that'll be interesting for you. Maybe a more informal atmosphere to this discussion. So, going forward from that point, we had the FinTech Task Force that was set up. I I returned to the European Commission, which was, uh, how to say, my uh, professional home. And we set up, uh, or the vice president of the commission, Valvis Dombrovskis, at that time, uh, who still is executive vice president, and my commissioner at that time, Gunter Oettinger, who who has since left, uh, set up the FinTech task force. Uh, I was nominated to be uh, one of the co-chairs, along with a colleague from financial services. I'm coming from the digital single market side. And that's when we first started then putting formally and officially blockchain into European Commission policy starting around 2016. Before that, it was analysis, some work on it. What happened, uh, first of all, at the very beginning, it was including the cryptocurrencies and the anti-money laundering uh, legislation. So a little bit the risk side, the possible problem side. Um, if it was ever true that if it moves, the European Commission regulates it, it is not true now, and it wasn't true with this technology. As I said, some of us uh, really looking at it closely starting 2012, 2013, uh, something came to adapt the anti money laundering framework to it, and the first legislation this year in 2020, which I'll say a little bit later. So both, basically, we were watching the market, listening to the market players watching and following the technology, even testing the technology a bit. you heard I'm a, I'm a lawyer, but I also work with engineers and talk to our also computer science people. Um, then coming out of the FinTech Task Force, we issued the FinTech Action Plan in uh, 2018. In the FinTech Action Plan, we said we were going to set up an EU blockchain initiative because we saw some risks, I mentioned the anti-money laundering, but a lot of potential to use tokenization, smart contracts, blockchains, distributed leisure technologies, also for public sector and for private sector, economic activities, social activities. I should underline, and this is apparently a similar intellectual voyage that was taken by uh, the e-commerce, I mean, not the e-commerce, the commerce department in the US, is- does e-commerce, the commerce department. At first, we kind of called everything blockchain. Then, because of some unease with the terminology of blockchain, we started calling everything officially distributed ledger technologies. If you go back to the fintech action plan, it only says DLT. Then we found the stakeholders really were talking about blockchain, you know, whatever type of ledger technology, distributed ledger technology, calling it blockchain. So we've gone back to calling it blockchain. That said, Um, We could say in a longer uh, statement, we're talking about blockchain-inspired technology. So hash graphs, Tangle, DLT, um, it's all in there. We don't have some purist vision of blockchain, that it's only Bitcoin or it's only some kind of uh, permissioned network or something else. We take this whole area of distributed technologies, decentralized technologies to be the scope of our work and our activities. And also I would say that we don't have also black and white definitions of fully decentralized, fully centralized. It's probably theoretical to have any system centralized completely or decentralized completely. Um, it's a spectrum. So I'll say in a few moments where we put some of the initiatives that we have. First of all, something that I think it's very useful to name as one of our starting steps into blockchain, but it's also something very relevant for all of you listeners uh, who might be mostly in the United States or or even in Europe and other parts of the world, you can also access it, was setting up the EU blockchain observatory and forum. This is a think tank uh, working for us. It's a European parliament pilot project. And what's interesting there is that it's a set of reports on blockchain and identity blockchain and public services blockchain and innovation blockchain and uh, data protection all available to you also the convergence of ai iot blockchain etc etc please use it as a resource it's open to to everybody we have workshops which like most things now are all virtual. So you can join our workshops also from Washington, from California, from Georgia or, or wherever. And um, we had one just recently on the agro food sector and blockchain video online. We had one before that, which was I think an excellent one on uh, central bank digital currency. I can say that because they work for us. This is not me. So I- I'm happy to compliment them. And Central Bank Digital Currencies, it was with the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, and the Bank of Canada. So very international. Also online, there'll be a report. Please use this as a resource if you want to know about a specific area in blockchain or just to know about blockchain in general. So this is what we call the knowledge. This is where there's also mapping, Uh, We inform ourselves. We try to help to inform the the rest of the policymaker community, the community that wants to make connections. We move from that to the European Blockchain Partnership Declaration. Now, 29 countries, all 27 EU member states, signed it at ministerial level, plus Norway and Liechtenstein. The UK was in it, but with leaving all the European bodies, the UK left. So, we went from 30 to 29, but that wasn't specific on blockchain. It was just European or EU. So, what is this uh, EU um, European blockchain partnership doing? It was set out in the declaration that they, with us, the European Commission, would build a European blockchain services infrastructure. It's not piloting, this is not testing, this is moving to deployment. We've uh, followed blockchain and uh, DLT for a long time, so we've never been carried away by the hype. Uh, We think it is definitely useful for many things where you have a whole set of partners and uh, you don't want to or can't use a centralized database, for instance, for competition reasons, for reasons of national sovereignty, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And this is where blockchain, I think, is a, a very nice solution and a justified one. A uh, American panelist who I was in a panelist some years ago, I've unfortunately forgotten the name of who exactly made the comment. Said blockchain is an ideal technology for the European Union because it reflects its multi-level governance. Well, not only the EU has multi-level governance; uh, the United States has states and a federal level, and uh, things that we can admire also from our side of the Atlantic. So, and also companies are in supply chains or they may want to share some uh, early stage development of a technology. Again, many cases, you don't want to put everything in a single database in one place. So this is where we find blockchain very useful. Uh, The use cases, as I say, that we're deploying, not piloting, it's a deployment next year, self-sovereign identity, giving people more choice in managing their identity broadly defined. So this is not just connecting to your passport, your uh, identity card, but I don't know, a tennis license, a fishing license, golf license, uh, other things, um, driver's license, uh, various other credentials, getting to the next use case, diplomas, and having diploma uh, recognition certification across borders. If you're uh, moving from uh, Ireland to do uh, graduate study in France. And then you can uh, not have to bring a, a paper copy or something, you can just show, okay, this is from Trinity College, uh, that I can uh, make the, uh, ev- give you the evidence that I, I have completed uh, the grade, uh, the diploma, uh, that I, the course that I said I did. So the diplomas are another use case. Uh, we are starting a collaboration on the diplomas. I just uh, started my day uh, in Australia, <laughs> you could say, virtually, uh, with the Australian um, Department of, uh, of Industry, Resources, Energy, something else, the full title, that department. Um, a very nice meeting. We're collaborating with them as well as Canada on, uh, on the diplomas and also with self-sovereign identity as a precursor as something that enables, as an enabler for the diplomas. We also have audit document uh, certification. Uh, This is with the European Court of Auditors. And then finally, of the first use cases, we have regulatory reporting, RegTech. And this is exactly where you have, we have 27 countries and the European Commission where I am. And there are uh, directives, we have pieces of legislation that require certain regular reporting actually better than sending large data packages, publishing this information on a node as by the proof of concept and the testing shown to be much faster, much more efficient. Again, a justified use case. And again, where for various reasons, we don't want to centralize things in Brussels. It's not the way we work. We're not a centralized union. Um, Then moving to the new use cases that have been proposed and that we're going to start developing later this year and next year, we're working on SME, small and medium enterprise bonds on the blockchain, also on um, social security numbers and asylum procedures. Then the other areas that we're also working in, so this is our, our initiative. On public sector services. I should have mentioned the declaration opens the possibility for a public-private partnership. So we have this governmental push, uh, there's a pre-commercial procurement open right now, but it would be open to collaborating, being interoperable with the rest of the blockchain ecosystem that also we want to flourish in Europe, in the European Union. Uh, what are we doing to help with that? We're working in standardization at the international level, international standardization organization, technical committee 307 on blockchain. Also in the European level, Etsy, Sensenelik, and so on. Skills, we have a project on blockchain skills, advanced digital skills, in order to promote these in Europe. And then we also have research. Looking at things like the next generation internet, the layers of the so called web three, a more decentralized, more democratic internet, which may be part of the modernization of the internet, moving to the next stage, which actually goes back to the way that uh, the internet was, uh, let's see. 1969 if we look at the first email going from UCLA to uh, to the Stanford Research Center on what became the ARPANET and NSFNET and the different uh, Nets that uh, ended up making up uh, the basis of the infrastructure. So you have a, a vision where blockchain and other decentralized technologies can play a part there. So on the research side, we're also supporting that. Then finally, the legal frameworks in order for blockchain to flourish uh, in the European Union or any jurisdiction, you need to have legal clarity. Uh, entrepreneurs, investors don't want to be usually <laughs> in gray zones um, where they don't know whether their activity is legitimate or not, to have problems with getting a bank account, et cetera. And here we uh, just had our first legislation, not on blockchain, but on an application on blockchain and tokenization. And it's called Markets in Crypto Assets. And it basically covers where we had gray areas. So you could say the payment tokens, um, what is usually known as stable coins, which you call asset reference tokens uh, legally in this uh, regulation. And um, finally, the utility tokens. So those that are securities for us, they go into something called MIFID. Um, so they are treated as securities, but there's also being some. We're looking at this. We're reviewing it to see if there should be an adapted regime for them. Then you have these others covered with a risk-based approach in uh, markets and crypto assets. So very much bringing all of these activities into the legitimate and uh, I would say sunlight uh, sphere of uh, of legal clarity. And then there's also Pilot, which is a regulatory sandbox plus. A regulatory sandbox, we have that actually in the European Blockchain Partnership as we're building the European blockchain services infrastructure, something that's not specifically allowed but not prohibited. And we're working with the member states while building to see how legislation can be adapted, utilizing also the legislative uh, tool, the principle of proportionality. But here, within pilot, actually, even uh, regulatory requirements can be lifted. And this is in the area of market infrastructures, where a market infrastructure using a distributed ledger technology can apply to be freed from the requirement of having to use a centralized securities depository and just utilize a distributed ledger technology approach. So these are both uh, regulations adopted by the European Commission. The way our system works is we have the exclusive right to propose legislation, to draft it and propose it. And this has been adopted by our politicians, the commissioners who we, the civil servants, work for. Now it's been sent to the parliament, the elected representatives and the council, which is the member states. So there's a process now, democratic debate, Some of it in public in in the parliament, especially uh, on these legislative proposals and they can be adopted between six months or a year and a half or, or even two years. Which is part of the the democratic process. It might be faster, might be a little bit slower. It depends how many readings the parliament and uh, And the member states in the council um, require in their exchange to finish the legislative process. Uh, Coming up, we had in the context of the Digital Services Act, which is a piece of legislation that we will be adopting in the commission quite soon, uh, a public consultation on smart contracts, whether something needs to be done to ensure that they're not fragmented across borders in the EU. Um, We got encouraging feedback for such an initiative to take place. It won't happen in the Digital Services Act because of a refinement of the scope there and what it addresses. And we foresee now that we could address it in several pieces of legislation coming up, including related to uh, EU e-identity, where there will also be the subject of self-sovereign identity, which is something that we see as being very high potential on a blockchain. And then also a Data Act, which is coming up As part of our data strategy and moving to making more use of data in the uh, data economy of the future here in the European Union. Um, With that, I think I would be happy to also take some time to answer your questions. I talked a bit about all the different prongs of our strategy and our implementation on blockchain. I should underline as in fintech. We work with startups, we work with mid-caps, we work with uh, large enterprises, including multinationals. So it's uh, not just a startup program, it's not just a program with banks, it is really working with all the levels of European industry um, and global industry. Uh, We are an open market, we are multilateralists uh, by conviction, and also with uh, civil society, especially in Europe, and also with with civil society actors generally. So perhaps uh, our, our moderator um, will uh, have some questions. And I mean, if there's other questions that had come in from the, the audience, I have to confess, uh, it's a little bit of a stretch for me to go in and, and look them up. It might be easier if, uh, if the moderator, if my, um, puts them to me or I mean, I can also go and try to find the questions in, a, in written form. Thank you.
1: Oh, oh, thank you. I'll go ahead and, and share the questions. Thank you so much, that was very insightful. That was great, thank you. So the first question is a multi-part question.
0: You have frozen for me. Yeah. I, I, think, uh, I think you froze and I didn't hear the question. If you, if you asked a question, could you please repeat it?
1: Sure the first part the first question was on average how long did it take to deploy these blockchain platforms
0: okay so the 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 use cases yes Uh, we started building i mean this is really the first meetings in 2019 Um, we're in piloting and testing i think we have 19 member states with 25 nodes right now, we'll have 27 countries with a larger number of nodes in uh, in the near future. And the deployment should be during the calendar year of next year. Um, a use case or several use cases, hopefully in the first half of the year. We have a little bit the wild card that we all have with uh, with COVID. We're doing all of our meetings virtually and missing a little bit uh, the contact together and in one place between the different teams. But uh, we seem to be not losing any speed with that.
1: Thank you so much. And have you determined how you will measure success for these use cases?
0: Yes, I mean, we do have uh, to say various KPIs that have have been defined. I mean, from very simple ones like we want to have nodes operating in every country because it's again very important for us to be inclusive and uh, something that I I said I was going to say, but uh, didn't a little bit on the spectrum of centralization and decentralization taking, for example, the European blockchain services infrastructure, the nodes will be at the European Commission and in 29 countries. Then further, we think that the nodes could be and be offering services at the regional level and at the municipal level and cities. So potentially a thousand or even thousands of nodes, which for me is quite decentralized, I mean, compared to having something in a centralized database. This is obviously not Bitcoin or one of the uh, permissionless blockchains, which is not what we have a ambition to be. I mean, these are public services being offered by public authorities, but compared to a lot of government architectures, very, very decentralized. Then you could have uh, us interacting with supply chains, completely decentralized blockchains. Others, they can bring this element in. But I think it's uh, not good to look black or white on, okay, this is just either a completely permissionless blockchain or it's a centralized database because it's permissionless. Permission. I mean, in this case, I mean, this is quite a level of, of decentralization, which I think is interesting also for multi-level governance for democracy, also on the level of cities, regions, countries, and not everything being decided by one capital or, or one center. But now I'm going forward and we said, okay, the nodes in each country, uh, maybe looking further nodes in uh, municipalities, in regions. And then, I mean, uh, in a way, a simple uh, metric, but one that you can define uh, in greater or less precision, is that it gives useful uh, services to people. So is self-sovereign identity helping anyone to do things that they were not able to do otherwise? Does it make their lives easier, more efficient, more pleasant? And this is where I think digital has a great deal of potential for public policymakers, for civil servants who should be serving the society, serving the civitas, that you can take a holistic view, uh, a citizen-centered view with digital, and this is something, for instance, self-sovereign identity, allowing you to have a, a wallet of your different identities, things that you need to use to identify yourself, but showing only the information that you need to so that the citizen doesn't need to go to one thing for the Department of Motor Vehicles and another thing for the school district, and yet another thing with another identity to upload a LinkedIn CV to something looking to to change career. But not being centralized, having different certificates in different places, but connected in a wallet. So again, is this useful for people? If we just build it and say use it, and people don't wanna use it, Then that's also, I mean, a metric that we should have, that there is user satisfaction, user ease of use. Um, Then perhaps finally, I mean, for for us, uh, we do like to uh, move fast and make make things, uh, a little bit of a play on uh, a a slogan that a lot of us know. Um, We want to build a producer ecosystem. We have a lot of startups. We have a lot of bigger companies in Europe, uh, banks that are either exploring or implementing blockchain. We're obviously happy to buy and get investments from from overseas, from the U.S., among other things. But we also produce things, and we'd be glad that uh, some of our productions go into the global marketplace. So that will also be uh, a metric of success. Do we have European players that are playing a, a strong part in the global competition in this area? Thank you again, frozen for me.
1: So the first is basically, where can these use cases be accessed? And uh, the second part is, are there any tax related policies that were implemented for blockchain technology? And are these use cases primarily Ethereum based?
0: Okay, very good, very good questions. And now I have to, apologize that our website is not necessarily the most exciting. I think the European Blockchain Observatory Forum, which you can use is is quite good, it's quite rich. Then for the use cases, we have the uh, official European Commission website on uh, the European Blockchain Services Infrastructure. Just put that in a search engine, European Blockchain Partnership, European Blockchain Services Infrastructure. You'll get several of our interconnected uh, websites. They are informative, but we're actually working on making them even more informative. And uh, especially as the use cases go more and more live, there'll be more information online, but there's there's a bit available now. And there's also even a, a film on, on YouTube on the way that uh, the EPSI EPSI works. Um, then further, you were asking uh, what uh, we're working on. Right now, we're at an early stage we haven't deployed yet we're preparing for deployment but several of the use cases are working on Hyperledger fabric and several are working on ethereum we've also tested other blockchains and right now we have a pre-commercial procurement um, which is in principle open to uh, companies that are that are in europe but these you know american companies are also in europe so If you're from IBM, et cetera, et cetera, you can, uh, I think also take part. You have to look at the the procurement rules, uh, which is uh, something that uh, it's online, pre-commercial procurement on the European blockchain services infrastructure. And there you can see uh, that basically we're asking for building or more precisely to say adapting um, a blockchain to make it sustainable, uh, cyber secure, resilient, Uh, protective of privacy. So we are building out, adapting probably existing blockchains for our needs for these public services. And then we will have innovation procurements. in the first two years of the Digital York program, this is our next budget, Um, somewhere upwards probably of 60 million euro, where we will again build it out even further. So with these, we will, I think, as often as civil servants, even though we have Ideas of our own and uh, hopefully some knowledge of both the technology and the market. We will let the market offer to some extent decide because we will look to see um, what is on offer in response to both this pre commercial procurement and the later innovation procurement and choose the best offer. So this would be very premature to me to say that'll it be built on Ethereum, it'll be built on Hyperledger Fabric, it'll be built on IOTA Tangle or or something else. I mean, we are completely open and we will judge that according to the procurement rules.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Did I miss anything?
1: No, no, that was great. You, yeah, you were very comprehensive. (laughs) Thank you so much, great job. It's been such a gift to hear directly from you. Thank you for sharing this information with us today. And we're wrapping up. So, thank you, everyone, for attending today's event. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for inviting me. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.